We're continuing our series uh, in Mark's Gospel called Meet the King, and uh, we're going to read from uh, parts of Mark chapter 11 and 12 today, so if you have a Bible with you, that will help. Uh, Mark chapter 11, we're going to dive in at verse 1, and then we're going to skip some stuff, but I just want to get some context. So it's Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. And someone of those standing there said to them, why are you doing that? Why are you untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus has said, and they let them go. And they go up into Jerusalem, uh, and then they have a look around, and then they go home. And the next day, they go into Jerusalem, and in verse 15, and they came to Jerusalem and entered the temple and began to dr- and began and he yeah and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple and he was teaching them and saying to them is it not written my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations but you have made it a den of robbers and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and they were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching and when evening came they went out of the city and then there's a, another little bit we heard about the uh, the christmas no the fig tree last week um and uh, we, we wept for the Coopers, and when we saw the size of the Christmas tree they had, and, uh, and the state it was now in. Uh, but they came again, verse 27, to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, uh-oh, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, 
We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and They struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so, with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. A fairly famous preacher once said that... uh, Certainly, the cross demonstrates God's remarkable love for us. But it also shows that given the chance, men would rather murder God. In John 19 and 14 to 16, Pilate said to them, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And in Luke's account of this trip up to Jerusalem, uh, there is the parable of the ten minas. And again, uh, we hear the, the voice of the people, we will not have this man to reign over us. Uh, I wonder what you think about authority. Uh, there's some little sayings about authority. Tupac uh, Shaka, you see how trendy I am. I had never heard of this guy until I Googled it. Um, I think I'm a natural-born leader. I know how to bow down to authority... If it's authority, I respect. Next slide. Um, The Dalai Lama. The ultimate authority must always rest with the individual's own reason 
and critical analysis. Next slide. Don't believe everything you read on the internet just because there's a picture with a quote next to it. <laughs> Said Abraham Lincoln. Uh, yeah, that, let's go back to that Invictus slide. That's good. Um, tonight, uh, some of you may know, at the Harmons on Sunday night is film night. And uh, tonight we will watch Invictus in glorious Blu-ray and surround sound. Um, I don't know if you know where the name Invictus comes from. It's the name of a poem. And uh, uh, it's a very famous poem. And it was a poem, apparently, that Nelson Mandela found really helpful to him when he was in prison. And it was something that strengthened him. Uh, Next slide. Invictus is also the name of uh, the uh, games, special games for, for people who have been injured in the forces. And it was uh, kicked off by uh, Prince Harry uh, just a couple of weeks back. And you can see there the Invictus Games and the letters I am uh, pulled out. And in the next slide, we've got the words of William Ernest Henley. Uh, This is the last of four verses. It says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll... I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. Hmm. What did Jesus think of that? Well, that phrase, uh, how straight the gate, is a quote from Jesus in the King James Version. Um, Next slide. Enter ye in at the straight gate... For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Uh, So it might be a very inspirational poem, but actually it leads to destruction. Just had the poem back again. That's great. Back one. It matters not, really. Jesus said it does matter how straight the gate is. Are you the master of, the, of your fate and are you the captain of your soul? The stone which the builders... Oh, let's... Let's just pause for that one. Yes, I've forgotten I've stuck that one in. Did you know the number one song chosen at funerals to be played as the coffin goes out or as the curtains close is still My Way? Okay, let's press on. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvellous in our eyes. Uh, we've seen something of the context of this. Uh, we've actually seen, if we'd read through Mark 11, that this psalm has been quoted already on the entrance into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, but this is no surprise uh, what is, is happening in Jerusalem. In fact, Jesus has said we are going up to Jerusalem. In, in chapter 8, verse 31, he explains, and they begin their journey. Uh, and in 8.31 and 9.31, uh, 
and 10.33, he explains what that means. Uh, Let's look at 10.32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was about to happen, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now this uh, occasion now when the chief priests, the officialdom, come up and question Jesus is just three days before Good Friday. It's the Tuesday before Good Friday. Three days from this confrontation with the officials, Jesus will be dead. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Authority. Authority was a mark of Jesus' ministry. Right from the beginning, as we've gone through Mark's Gospel, we've seen Mark chapter 1. Jesus has authority to teach, but it's an amazing authority. He doesn't just teach like anyone. He's not just a good teacher. He's an amazing teacher. It's amazing authority that Jesus has. It's not just um, take, take it or leave it. It's demons will shut up and listen when Jesus speaks. Jesus also has authority to forgive sins in Mark chapter 2. We see that with the paralytic guy lowered through the roof. And even then, his authority to forgive sins is called into question. Why is this fellow sorry, why is this fellow talking like this? Who can forgive sins except God alone? He's blaspheming. Now of course, if he was just saying to people your sins are forgiven and he had no authority to do it, he is taking the place of God and he is blaspheming. They don't like it. But they don't like the other possibility either. They don't like the possibility that he comes with the authority of God. And why is that? Because they've got plenty of authority of their own, thank you very much. And they like to exert that authority over others. And it comes to a head in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, when Jesus starts to talk about the, the Sabbath. And they say, you should not do this, that, and the other on the Sabbath. And why are you doing this? And Jesus says, did God make the Sabbath for man or man for the Sabbath? And at the end of it, it says they wanted to go out and kill him. These religious people, um, just out of interest, it was the Sabbath, Uh, So they're they're, they're contending with him for doing good stuff on the Sabbath, and on the Sabbath, these ultra-religious types want to go out and commit murder on the Sabbath. Hmm. And 
it, it becomes a, an even bigger confrontation because in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, they start saying, you know, he, don't, he casts out demons. Well, that's by the power of Beelzebub. He's casting out demons by the prince of demons. And they don't like it. And they, they blaspheme. It's interesting, isn't it? They accused him of blasphemy and now they blaspheme. And even his disciples can't get over his authority. In Mark chapter 4, they're stuck in a, in a storm. And these hardened, experienced fishermen think they're going to drown. And with a word, be still. Two words. Jesus silences the storm. And his followers are absolutely gobsmacked. What amazing authority. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In Mark chapter 5, we met Legion, this man with thousands of demons. And Jesus, with a word, calms the storm in Legion's heart too. Mark chapter 6, his family reject him. They don't like his authority, they try and take authority over him. Mark chapter 7, the religious people are back in strength. And they say, give us a sign, we want a sign. And he says there will be no sign. And here we come to Mark chapter 11, verse 27, and they, they march up again. I'm going to stop the silly voices because it's getting too serious. Okay. They, they march up again. And it's basically the council. Um, we're also... They're also called the Sanhedrin. Uh, They're a court made up of scribes, priests, Pharisees, Sadducees. And they are actually members of the court who will condemn Jesus in just a few hours. Um, Look, look if you want, uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus... Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further need of witnesses do we need? Do we have? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And the Sanhedrin all condemned him as deserving death. Jesus' authority really niggles with human authority. Rosie, you were late again. I guess it was the traffic. Did you know there was a traffic jam on Friday? That's a private joke, by the way. <laughs> there was a, an amazing traffic jam in, in Chester on Friday. Um, I, I'd never seen it. It took you, what, half an hour to come up from the Sainsbury's roundabout to the Fountains Room? It was amazing. It was amazing. And apparently it was all due to the 
the roundabout out on the Wrexham Road, um, where the traffic lights had broken down. Now, can you imagine you know, some bright spark, some group of students perhaps got there and saw the problem, thought this is an engineering solution, we'll have one person on each entry to the roundabout and we will signal to each other and we will sort the traffic out. What happens when the officials come along? <laughs> oh no, you can't do that. That's our authority. You may have fixed the problem, but it's our problem to fix. And that is something of what was going on. He was on their turf, uh, actually in the temple, their building. You know, it's easy to get het up with buildings. Uh, but they were really het up with their building. They had an obsession with it and Jesus was saying stuff like this place is going to be torn down in just three days going to be torn down do you know how long it took to build? 60 years three days it'll be gone not one stone will be left on another don't like that what's he doing coming here telling us that? Now, as believers, uh, we are given authority. Jesus said, I have all authority, and now I give it to you. Go and make disciples and teach them everything. And when Christians step out in the authority of Jesus, they are going to meet rejection just like Jesus met rejection. Don't think just because you have God's authority on your side that it will always go well, because it doesn't. Uh, I, was, I heard a guy, he wrote a book called Psychobabble, a Christian psychologist, an amazing conversion story, a guy called Richard Gantz. And uh, once he'd become a Christian, he went back to work and he found a man in his surgery who, who, who said, I am Jesus. And you know what it's like in a secular uh, health environment? You're not supposed to get involved with religion. Uh, it's your own personal thing. And what Richard Gantz said, uh, I'm afraid you're not Jesus because I know Jesus and you're nothing like him. Uh, you need to meet Jesus and be saved. And the man met Jesus and was saved. He was healed. No one had been able to do anything for this man. And Richard Gantz stood up with the authority of God given to him by the Lord Jesus, and proclaimed the gospel to this man who thought he was Jesus. He was healed, and Richard Gans was fired. Don't always expect it to go well. Remember, in three days' time, Jesus will be crucified. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We we do a lot of referring to other parts of the Bible as we go through Mark's Gospel, because Mark is always pulling in things from elsewhere. Isaiah 28, famous passage. Hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers. You rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we've made a covenant with death, with shale, that's hell, We have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through it, it will not come to us, for we've made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, 
Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who gives you, sorry, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. And they came to Jerusalem, and as he entered the temple and began, this is verse 15, he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned their tables. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. A cornerstone defines where the walls go. You set a corner and it, you drive out the corner lines up in three dimensions, up and out and back. It defines the shape of the building. And Jesus comes to the temple and he says, this is what the plan says. This is to be a house of prayer for the nations. You've made it a den of robbers. But even more than that, Jesus said... I am the plan. I am the blueprint. I am the house of prayer for the nation, if you like. Jesus' blueprint for the church is a very different one. It's not about, well, let's look at it. Mark chapter 10, 42. Jesus called them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers lord it over the people, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is our blueprint. He is the cornerstone. He sets the direction. He tells us how it's to be built. And he says, the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. Uh, He's talking about himself. But if we're to follow him, we are to be servants. We're not to be worried about our place. We're not to be fussing around trying to exercise authority over anything that lets us. Uh, We are to serve. And Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, take up your cross and follow me. That's what Richard Gantz knew he was doing. He knew he risked his job but he took up the cross 
and follow Jesus. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. By what authority do you do this? It's the Lord's doing. They came again to Jerusalem as he was walking in the temple. The chief priests and scribes and elders came to him and said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Answer me and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they discussed it with another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they held that John really was a prophet. So they said to Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's a funny encounter, isn't it? Um, Jesus answers their question with a question. Uh, that's partly the style of uh, rabbinical teaching, is to answer one question with another. So he's not doing anything particularly subversive in doing that. He's just following a rabbinical style of teaching. But his question actually indicates the answer. <laughs> He's not being obscure. It's not, well, if you won't answer my question, I won't answer yours. It's not that at all. He's just trying to teach them directly where his authority comes from. And the question he gives is John's baptism. Was that from heaven or from men? And because we've all read Mark's Gospel, we all know that when Jesus was baptized by John, what happened? Heaven opened... And a voice said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So John's baptism even declared where Jesus' authority came from. If only they would listen. But they won't answer the question. They know the answer. Now it's just a challenge. Uh, are some of you sitting here today, you know a lot about Jesus. And you know he has authority. You know that he is the Son of God. And that he commands that you repent, be baptized, and follow him. But you're umming and ahhing. Well... Don't treat Jesus like that. He does have absolute authority. Who has the right to tell you what to do? No one except Jesus. Is your funeral song going to be, I did it my way or I did it his way? Now Jesus then goes on and starts telling parables. And again, if we studied Mark's Gospel as we did earlier, we noticed that when Jesus tells parables, it's a sign of judgment. 
Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, quoting from Isaiah, that to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So Jesus has come to Jerusalem for judgment. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire. And like fuller's soap, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, that they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So I, I can't help but hear Handel's Messiah when, when I hear those, for he is like... No? Okay. <sighs> it's always dangerous to quote Shakespeare or... All handle up here but the judgment that comes to Jerusalem has a twist the big twist is the judgment doesn't fall at this time on the religious leaders it falls on Jesus And many of those who cried, crucify him, crucify him, will later believe. They will later find that he is their shelter from God's judgment. What an amazing gospel. The one who came to judge was himself judged in our place. So just quickly to wrap up. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Is the death and resurrection of Jesus marvelous to you? Or is it something that makes you stumble? Is it something you'd rather wasn't in the gospel, but I guess if I need a ticket to heaven, I won't look too too closely at the small print, and we'll just carry this ticket, and we'll get there, and we'll be okay. Just don't talk about the cross or the blood. The cross of Jesus is the most glorious, the most wonderful. If you want to see Jesus in his glory, you go to the cross first. Now, he's not there now. He's actually in even greater glory, but you can't see him there. But if you want to see the glory of Jesus, you go to the cross. And if you want to know how to properly respond to Jesus, have a read through Mark's Gospel. Because time and time again, you'll see people who didn't like Jesus, who hated him, who wanted to kill him. 
but you'll also find people who responded properly. To, to tax collectors and fishermen, Jesus said, follow me. And they just dropped everything. He left his books, did Levi. I mean, he must have been in trouble for that, but no, he just left his books. The fishermen, they left their nets. Their main tool, they left behind and followed Jesus. Then there was that woman, Mary. She had this really expensive perfume in an alabaster jar, and she smashed the jar and poured it on Jesus' feet. That's how you respond to the the wonder of who Jesus is and to his authority and to his love and forgiveness. Crazy extravagance. If you're not quite so sure, you could still say with the man whose demons-possessed son the disciples couldn't heal, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Or if you're a little bit more sure, but you feel... I'm not sure whether Jesus will accept me. Just cry out with Bartimaeus, the blind man. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Or go right to the cross and see the Roman centurion. What uttering words of treason. Caesar was the son of God. But this man who'd been in charge of the death squad could look at the expiring body of Jesus and say, this man was the Son of God. With Stuart Townend, you might want to say, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Is there something in your heart that is rising up against the authority of Jesus? Uh, There's a wonderful hymn uh, that begins. It was written by a guy called George Matheson. Make me a captive Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conqueror be. Come and submit to the one person who is worthy And follow him. What we're going to do now is break bread. It's one of the things that Jesus taught us to do. And we're going to break bread in celebration of what he has done. His death and his resurrection. And if you want to follow Jesus, if you've never done this before, but if you want to follow Jesus, feel free to come and take part in this feast, to celebrate the Lord Jesus with us together. And if you've done that for the first time today, uh, come and see Keith afterwards and have a chat about it as well, because we'd love to know and to celebrate with you what an amazing saviour Jesus is.